how's everybody doing tonight for episode 10 wow 10 of uh the haunted hacker um so a lot of good stuff has gone on this week um so we are actually being picked up by um technology strong tech strong tv um, to be hosted on their platform uh we've built out our um, discord server and we picked up a lot of new people um, i think we have like 10 new people in discord a couple of new people to uh, the crew um, one of them is a uh, ghost exodus and another one is a hacker from uruguay that was on both of them were on um, darknet diaries and they have some really good stories and next saturday we'll have um, a bunch of ex-hackers with stories um, together on the same podcast so a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Um, we've already had to ban one person because of you know inappropriate behavior or whatever. Uh, this is for um, the web and it's for everybody. So you know, if there's something you don't agree with or something you don't like, send me an email. Uh, I may or may not look at it, but uh, we'll take a look. Um, so tonight we have Kevin Fielder, who is a really good friend of mine. Um, and I'm going to unmute him so he can speak. Um, so a little backstory on me and Kevin. Uh, I met Kevin in London and it was at the NIST con uh, conference. Um, and he, myself, uh, Greg Vandergast are all speakers for Sapphire. Um, and I think David Parkinson's online as well. Um, and he's from Sapphire as well. So without further ado, let's get started. So I'm glad to have Kevin here. Um, Kevin, long time. Hey, man, how's it going? Excellent, man. Excellent. Yeah. It's great, great to see you. Um, yeah, no, it's so, been, been a while since you left the UK, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's been like four months, I think, now. Uh, but I don't feel like I'm that far away anymore um, because I think I've had pretty much all of us on the podcast um, with a few exceptions. But I'm sure that'll work out. Uh, so, last time I saw you, you were CISO of Just Eat, and I know that you've moved over to FNZ Group. Um, why don't you start by taking us through what brought you into cybersecurity and kind of your path? You're mute. You're muted, Kevin. <laughs> so, I've got a bit of a sore throat, and I, I muted myself to cough, and then I realized that you're, you're being draconian and not allowing us to unmute ourselves to so say, I was like, ah, can't even speak. I've been silenced by the man. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I was the yeah, CSA for Just Eat for three, just over three years, um, which was pretty cool. Um, got to kind of join there, build a whole team, do, you know, I could talk about everything, you know, everything we did, but the whole kind of the whole building of every, every part of a security team and function from, from pretty much nothing. So that's really exciting. Um, and now I wanted to kind of move back into finance. I know it can sound a bit dull, but but security is a lot more important when there's like billions of pounds at stake, right? So it's kind of, um, you know, just eat another kind of online store, other, other online stuff is, is it's obviously important, um, but there's, there's kind of names and addresses and ordering, you know, whether it's jeans or CDs or whatever, there's, there's not as much at stake in terms of kind of if there's a small breach it's, it's not you know it's, it's bad and it's serious but it's not catastrophic right. um and obviously fnz um yeah they're one of those companies that you've not really heard of but they're quite big so we do kind of wealth management stuff but it's wealth management for other companies so standard life quilters hbc all of those kind of people use 
the FAZ platform behind the scenes. So there's you know, several hundred billion of, of assets under management. Um, so it's kind of a, a much bigger deal if something goes wrong, right? So it's, it's obviously a bit more scary for me, um, but also security is much more kind of part of the fabric. So they've had a, a really strong second line team that did some of the first line stuff and you know a good security culture, but they want to build a kind of a, a, a fully fledged first line security team. So, you know, operational security, yeah, AppSec throughout the STLC, infrastructure, cloud, the whole piece. So kind of similar to what I did at Just Eat, just a bit kind of with a bit more at stake effectively. Um, yeah, so it's kind of seemed like an exciting thing and they wanted someone who was, uh, you yeah, know, not a super kind of, not there's anything bad with, with different types of CSO, but they didn't want someone who's come from a, a purely risk uh, or non-technical background. They want someone who's kind of got a bit of a technical background as well because it's, it's a tech firm. Um, so someone that can kind of understand the issues as well as doing the kind of risk and, and sort of paperwork side of things. So at a, at a top level view, how did you get to become a CISO? Where did you start in security and, and what led you to, you know, the position of CISO? Yeah, so yeah, I think it's, it's one of those jobs where there's definitely not one way, right? You'll talk to 10 different CISOs and find we've all had different routes up. And the, yeah, just before I dive into that, one thing I would say is it's not necessarily for everyone in terms of not because people can't do it, but you do have to become as with a lot of stuff, as you get more sort of managerial, you can stay fairly technical. It's one of those careers where like I can still get my hand in and I still have to talk to pen testers and talk to developers and stuff. So I still got to be you know, moderately technical, but I'm not going to pretend I'm hands on anymore, not remotely. Um, so, but, but equally as, as you know, you and many other people can attest to, you can do really well in, in security. If, if, you know, if you want to be financially successful as well as kind of have a career or whatever else, you can do pretty well in security as, you know, a senior pen tester or, you know, a, a head of or team lead, you know, senior manager, whatever the title is of an AppSec function or any you know, cloud function, whatever you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I would just couch that in, don't necessarily think it's the, the place to be for everyone in security. It's if, if you really, really love the hands-on thing or, or pen testing or, you know, cutting code, whatever it is you love doing, follow that path and, and do something that's going to still, still like have a career that can like, earn you a pretty good you know shit ton of cash if that's if that's what if that's what you're about um and you can you know shape how things go and shape strategy a bit but still keep your hands on so don't necessarily kind of think that, that the pinnacle see so if if you're someone who wants to really stay hands on the pinnacle could be you know what you do or you know being the, the lead pen tester for an organization or whatever whatever your your, your area happens to be so so i would just kind of just say that a lot of people talk about like CISO being where you want to get to but it's only where you want to get to if you enjoy that balance of being a bit technical, but also having to talk to boards and deal with risk and deal with second and third line teams and all the other stuff you have to do. So, so it's not necessarily what everyone's going to be happy doing. <clears throat> In terms of me, yeah, so I started off doing, strangely, I started off kind of, my career was, was I was running a small business, a little shop in, in a town called Hitchin, selling kind of gym supplements and workout clothing and stuff. Um, and I also kind of like I had my degree was half com- was partly computing and I've been quite, quite into computers and tech stuff sort of most of my life, you know, whether it's monkeying around with with playing with phones or, you know, com- um, playing games, computers, whatever else, building computers, all the sort of stuff we did as teenagers when you're a bit slightly geeky. But sort of I also like sport and gym stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're running a small shop with a friend. Um, and then I kind of because it was kind of a bit slow getting off the ground. And one of the things I learned is that whole go big or go home thing. So we didn't want to borrow too much money because we we're scared of getting into debt. So we had this little business that was kind of ticking along and paying for itself, but not making this huge amount. Because back in those days, like this was like early mid 90s. So if you weren't splashing adverts in like muscle and fitness and flex and men's health and whatever the big magazines were, because it's kind of pre the Internet being massive. Um, you weren't doing loads of mail orders. So you were only kind of getting trade from local gym gym folk and a few people you knew. So you, but you obviously had to spend thousands on the effort. So we kind 
kind of had this thing where it's taking over, but we hadn't had the bottle to borrow the thousands to do the big ads to get the, the mail order trade. Um, so I then took a job uh, just doing random call center stuff. I think it was for a bit of dental software of all things. So nice. dealing with BNC networking and, and dentists trying to run software and stuff like that, which is, which is fun. So kind of got into doing kind of an IT job doing that. And then after doing that for a little while, stepped away from this business because one thing I also discovered was with a business like a shop, even if it's something you're passionate about, fundamentally it's still a shop selling stuff. Right. So there was a, it wasn't ever going to excite me that as, in, enough. So I, I left that to my partner um, and then kind of moved on doing kind of various tech jobs, kind of internal support, that kind of stuff. Worked for a little company doing spread betting and share trading, those sort of things. Um, and then I was working for GE Capital. And I'd always kind of had a bit of a, like, I like, I like tinkering with security. So even though I wasn't in the security team, I was the guy that I was in a project team that would do the building new firewall projects or, you know, network security projects or what do you want to do with IDS and playing around with Snort and stuff. So did a bunch of kind of security related projects and being as security adjacent as I could be. Uh, and then we got a, a virus outbreak. I can't remember what it was now, some random little virus in, in, in our office. And I managed to deal with it before Symantec had a fix out and like just monkeying around in the registry, deleting some files, rebooting the machine. Yeah, so it was, you know, obviously it wasn't that, that ferocious of a virus because I could deal with it by just sort of changing some registry settings and deleting some files. But I worked out how to get rid of it before the AV got updated. And it happened to coincide with us having a new security manager start and he was building a team and he was like, do you want a job? I was like, yes. <laughs> and that kind of got me in security. Um, and then just did a variety of things. I've always been a bit of generalist. So kind of, again, that's probably a good thing for any kind of leadership role but you know talking about CISOs in terms of having quite a broad experience so I've done kind of internal support I've done external support I've done security work after I was doing did security for a little bit I moved into architecture because on the basis probably a bit like Greg talks about quite a lot that um, if you do things right at the design phase you get rid of a lot of the security issues within every day right because you just built it right you never get rid of everything because there's always going to be time pressure and you're never going to be perfect but that kind of so I moved into our not general architecture a bit to sort of, but with a security focus that I tried to bring to things, um, then some security architecture, and then a few bunch of years kind of doing things at WorldPay in, in various security roles, building up a little internal team doing um, what we're doing. So we, we owned everything up to up to kind of live. So we were the kind of pre-go live team. So we were across apps, second infrastructure and everything. So it's kind of like a little mini CISO world, but just pre-go live, but it's quite broad. Um, and I always had some interesting things there we talked about. Um, how we look at making security profit centers with your company with a lot of, S, especially SME companies connecting to your systems. Could you make the USP that you help them with their security, whether it's hosting stuff for them, scanning things for them, giving them, you know, um, kind of code and other stuff to work with. So we were looking at how can we help make security a profit center that we actually sell to, sell to our customers as, as well as being kind of part of what we do. Um, and then obviously that built up to kind of the, you know, head or title for whatever for you know what whatever titles matter but that seems one of the ones that comes along um and then after that i've got my CISO job at just eat um and yeah it's one of those things it's it's they obviously took the flyer on me if you, you'll find i think if you want to get into the kind of CISO world you'll 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 probably your first job will probably be with a company that hasn't had one before or is a bit smaller or whatever else and you'll take that chance on someone who's not quite there to step up rather than you know and obviously as we all know once you've got a title whatever it is you know whether it's whatever job it is, if you've got the title, moving to another job with the same titles, that'd be easier because you're kind of a known quantity. So it was just that stepping stone. So, you know, I'm always going to be grateful to kind of Dave and the team at Just Eat for giving me that chance because it's, you know, hey, you're, you're not a proven, proven at this job yet. Have the reins of, of a pretty chewy security budget, go and build us something. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's that. And it's I guess that 
ties back to so I'm rambling a little bit but I guess that ties back to a lot of that stuff about getting people in industry as well it's that same attitude of finding people that you think are going to be good and giving right. them the chance right you, you always need that but yeah so I've always been a kind of moderate techie at heart and, and just kind of done a for me you know from what works for me is having that broad background if you you know if you want to lead a team that does a bit of AppSec and security culture and infrastructure and cloud and security operations and all of the other bits. If you've got a broad background, you're probably going to understand a lot of that. So when you have a conversation with the team, you're not some numpty who doesn't understand anything they're talking about. You, you can have a sensible conversation about most of the stuff you're doing. Um, and I think that's quite important just to have, have their respect and also help make sure you're doing the right things, right? Obviously, you know, I always say, um, like a mid-level analyst probably knows more than me about what they do and I'll always, always trust their opinion but at least I can have a decent dialogue with them about it and, and kind of challenge what they're, they're proposing and things. Right so now that it's post-pandemic or kind of like I guess we're still in the pandemic because you guys still, are on lockdown like yeah. you guys are you guys are still on lockdown like what number six or seven or oh yes yeah, it's, it's crazy and it's 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 utter madness it's like you can have Christmas no you can't have Christmas kids are going back to school and literally the day before they went back or the day the day they went back for some parents, some kids I think was like oh no you're not anymore so yeah, yeah it's literally a, it's a shambles mate it's terrible but, so yeah being a CISO during the pandemic and looking at how um, cyber crimes increased quite a bit um, what is your biggest pain point as far as cyber crime goes Do you guys see any of that traffic Do you see any of the the traces of cyber crime against fnz group or and if so you know what is it and how do you guys address it so i think yeah i mean obviously i can't talk in any detail about kind of my current company as i'm sure you expect but just in general and obviously from the previous role as well there's obviously a, an uptick in the kind of social engineering kind of thing so i think there's a lot of stuff in the same way as if all businesses moved online and delivery and everything else same thing, right? So if I can't do a bunch of the scams I do, I think yeah, the reason for the uptick is probably because an awful lot of criminals who were doing non-cyber or cyber and other stuff can only do cyber now, right? So, um, and yeah, you've already seen, you've probably seen it yourself, there's a bunch of, you know, COVID and now the vaccinations out, there's a bunch of vaccination related phishing and SMS phishing and, and, and all that kind of stuff as well, right? So there's, there's a big uptick in that kind of thing. Um, which I think you know, is, is to be expected. I guess it's the, the, the big difference between this and other kind of um, events is that it's so global, right? So if I if I have a good phishing thing or a good social engineering thing of whatever sort um, about COVID or your, you know, your friends in hospital, your family's in hospital, something's happened, blah, 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 whatever it is, that works on a much bigger scale, right? Any country where you might have to pay for healthcare or where you might be worried about getting a vaccination or where you might think you can jump the queue to get a vaccination sooner by paying or whatever else, that's going to work globally. Whereas most things, if there's a tsunami or, a, you know, or some weather related incident or, a, you know, a power issue or whatever else, it's quite localized. So it might be big, but it's not, you haven't got that scale of, I can use this, I can scale this up to work almost everywhere. Um, so I think that's probably one of the big things that's, that's caused it, right? Which is which is that that global nature of it. Um, and as far as yeah, I think it's it, it's interesting. There's more, but it's a lot of it's more of the same, right? If you've been around, I, I guess I'm, you know, you you see WhatsApp chats with kind of like friends and family stuff, and they're like, oh my god, I can't believe people are taking advantage of this. It's like, right. that's what always happens. I guess I guess if you've been around this for a while, you're never surprised by it because every single event that's bad, whatever it is, bank breach, anything you see on on the table of that. Mm. all of the people taking advantage of it but if you're yeah. not in the industry i guess it's like oh, i haven't seen that before oh my god people take advantage of this 
yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really interesting. I, I've replied to some kind of friends and family people the other day. It's like, I think I must be too jaded because none of this surprises me anymore. <laughs> so we deal with a, a pretty unique situation here in the States, not only mm-hmm. the pandemic, but the, the chaos of political tension and yeah. the riots and, and nobody's really sure which way the country's going to go. And I see so much data coming across, like different threats that are, that are coming up. Um, I see a lot of uh, false news. And it's kind of hard to keep up with it. It's like a flood of information. And I can only imagine like being a CISO, having to sort through what's real and what's not real. Um, but like you said, being in the industry for so long, you kind of get a handle on, you know, what you really need to focus on. Um, which brings me to another point. So we've talked before about, you know, companies who hire ex-hackers or people that probably don't have the cleanest backgrounds to be on a security team. Um, and my opinion, I've voiced this, you know, over and over again, is that, you know, you want someone who knows the other side, right? You want to, you want somebody who can identify traffic, not based on signatures on IDS, but what's behind the signature and what generated that, that alert. Um, but that comes with a level of trust for the employee. So how do you view bringing in people with, you know, let's say not so white backgrounds? It's, it's yeah it, for me personally it's not something that's a challenge obviously if it's you know i guess the more the more recent the not whiteness is the harder it is to kind of justify it in terms of the risk um and that, that's the, the hard thing isn't it because you want to be you want to be able to give people the chance if you've done you know whatever it is but now you're you know i guess rehabilitated for want a better term but you know wanted to do the right thing um yeah you know, we all know half the reason why people reoffend is because they can't get a real life after prison or after being you know, if being caught with anything because fundamentally a lot of places won't employ you. But conversely, working in finance is a bunch of regulatory things. So sometimes, no matter, you know, I'm, I'm still getting to grips with kind of all of the rules around that myself, but sometimes you might want to do the right thing for someone or help them out, but then there's a bunch of background checks that they have to go through that are regulatory mandated. Mm. So it's it, it can be, I guess, in a non-regulated industry, it's probably a lot easier. So if you're in, a, if, if you are someone who's, who's trying to do the right thing, but has, has a checkered background, I would suggest you know, probably focusing on non-regulated entities as, as where you might want to work first, just because the, the CTOs or the team leads or whoever's looking to hire you will have an easier time because there's less rules about that. So even if they have some background checks, there'll be background checks the organization does that you can have a discussion with HR about. But if there's a regulated rule that says you can't have people in with certain things, like if I, especially, and it depends what they are, right? So if it's if it's in finance, it's very focused on things like financial things. So if it's financial crime or you've got CCJs against you, those kind of things, so you're probably more likely to be someone who could be bribed and have financial issues, that's a big red flag. If it's someone who's maybe done some, you know, again, this is me talking my personal opinion, I'm, I'm not a legal expert on this, but if it's someone who's maybe done you know, some of the things that, that you, you, you might have been involved in or whatever else where it's, not financially motivated or, or or financial crime related, it might be an easier sell to get someone in who's got awesome skills and is clearly trying to do the right thing to, to do that. And I guess there's maybe things on a company side you can do to help that, right? So you know, if someone's coming in as a, as a tester to do the adversarial testing stuff, equally, you know, in the whole kind of least privileged access control model, right. you don't need access to much stuff anyway. So you can manage that by having the test controlled and making sure that that person or anyone in those roles doesn't need, you know, you shouldn't have the access anyway, right? So if you use the access appropriate access stuff same as me my, me and my team 
generally should have access to see most stuff what's going on but we shouldn't really have access to any actual systems apart from in an instant right. so it's a day-to-day someone coming in the security team you know, i guess i'm kind of arguing around here but someone coming in the security team is actually a fairly low risk one because it's not like you're say coming in as a financial processor who could make financial transactions on behalf of the organization you're coming in as someone who'll have access to no systems but maybe test the security of them or whatever right so yeah so I guess my, the short the short answer is yes. I think it's a really good thing, um, but I think you know equally people you know no matter best will in the world if you've got regulatory requirements that say legally you can't hire people with certain backgrounds or with certain criminal records. There's nothing I can do as an employee of the organisation to get around legal regulatory requirements. Right, like like here, there's a lot of jobs for um, DoD and like uh, government yeah. positions, but. I don't even bother to apply to them because I know that as far as security clearance, I probably would never get another one. Um, But, and and also another like frustration for a lot of people, I think is choosing which company to go with when it comes to employment. Right. So a lot of people that are new in the industry, um, they look for the most money and they look for, you know, the the quickest opportunity. Um, I had an, an experience in Scotland with a company that offered me a CISO position, which was a disaster. Yeah, um, so I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And I uh, didn't get paid for six months and, and it was just horrible. But there's companies out there that are, that are looking to take advantage of people. So how would you, how would you suggest that people look at companies? Um, I always tell people, you know, when someone hits you on LinkedIn, look at their background look at the companies, look at, you know, do, do your own due diligence and OSINT on individuals. But that also goes with companies, right? Because there's a lot of companies that, you know, may have a bad reputation. You and I both seen like some of our friends go down with, with some really bad companies uh, and cause a lot of issues. So what would your advice be to a newcomer coming into the industry as far as picking which company to go with? Yeah. And yeah, it's gonna like, I guess it depends where you are in your career. If you're, if you're, it's always going to be about that kind of, you know, money is important. No one's going to say it's not. But fundamentally, if you most, like they say, most people don't leave jobs because of money. You know, if you're if you're on a salary and you 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 you're doing okay, um, it's going to be more about kind of what's the role like, how empowered am I, those kind of things. So, yeah, do do that. Look whether it's last door or whatever, but look for reviews about the company, what it's like to work for. Um, yeah, this is where one thing about having a bit of a network. I'm, I'm I have a big. A bit of a love hate thing with the whole social media stuff because I think there's an awful lot of people out there who spend their life on social media but aren't necessarily doing any good for anyone at all. Um, and it's not, it's pretty vacuous, right? But equally, having enough of a network on LinkedIn or wherever means you will probably know someone who works there or know someone who knows someone. So you can ask around a little bit as well to get that kind of real word of mouth about what it's like, hopefully. Um, and ask those questions as part of the interview as well, right? So you can, you know, most people, you've got to remember that, that a job interview is kind of, a, it's a two-way process. It's always it's always a two-way thing, right? Um, so whatever your job is, whatever, when you work in somewhere, it's, am I getting what I need from the company? And that's going to be a bunch of things, and it'll vary from person to person. Salary, flexibility to see, you know, look after your kids, autonomy. Some people have autonomy, some people like to be a bit more directed, but the, the right appropriate amount of directional autonomy for, for how I like to work, um, you know, praise, promotions, training, whatever. And the company's like, are you smashing it? Are you delivering you know, are you, are you a good member of the team, all those, those things. So it's always that two-way process. So you should feel completely comfortable to ask questions as part of the interview process. So it's often that kind of thing when you have that interview and you do the standard stuff, tell us about your career, tell us what we want. We'll ask you a bunch of questions. We might give you a test. And then there's like a 30-second bit of the interview where you go, oh, do you have any questions for us? And it's like, 
uh, what are the holidays like? And people always feel kind of bad to ask, but delve in, dig in. So, you know, when I'm given, you know, ask, and just ask them, what's your management style? You know, if, if you if you give me a task, do you, how, how do you want me to update you? How, you know, and have that discussion. So I've, I've recently inherited a few people and I've asked them how they like to have their interaction with the manager, right? So do they want weekly one-to-ones, bi-weekly one-to-ones? And, you know, how, how often do they want to chat? And how, how much chat do they want from me? Um, because obviously the one-to-one stuff is as is, is much about, it's that kind of, how are you doing as much to what you're delivering? It's more about, they're, they're more of a kind of human, how are you kind of thing. So, yeah, and, and do, that, do those questions. So delve into that and it's, don't necessarily get hung up on um, like the company. So, you know, everyone's like, you know, oh, I want to work for Netflix or Google or whatever the trendy company. And they may not be great. They may not, you know, they're probably not bad, but there's probably a lot of jobs in those companies that's pretty dull, like every company, right? Um, and you might go to another company where you're, I don't think you have to be passionate about your company to do an awesome job. So you can work for a company where you like, I'm not really that passionate about what we do, um, but I love doing a great job. So I'm going to smash it. And I'm going to, you know, this is a really good opportunity for whatever it is because they're building out their, their AppSec team. And I love AppSec and I'm getting to not just do the application security piece and code scanning, but I'm getting to kind of shape how the team looks and help build the team and how are we going to engage with the engineers and all that kind of stuff. So if you're really passionate about that, doesn't might not, it may not matter what the company is if they're building a new team and you want to build things that could be where you want to go to so think about what you're passionate about but definitely don't get hung up on the company as opposed to you know the team and the culture and, and one of the things i often chat talk about is in most companies there's a bunch of rules you've got to follow and there's a bunch of hr processes and there's a bunch of you know whatever other things but equally yeah, within your team if you're a really good team leader you can make the team culture awesome as well so the company may have a great culture but you can also improve that for your team you know if you're a company where people work from home and people do th- you know work, work from different locations fundamentally the rest half the company doesn't know where your team is or what they're doing right so as long as they're delivering those you can make their life really good and give them more flexibility than maybe normal because your team is delivering as long as you're seen as delivering people will then start asking you how you're delivering so much why is your team so happy why is your team engagement so good and that can help make change in the rest of the org so so look for the look for the team look for the leader of the team and make sure they're great then look for the rest of the company culture and then probably finally the company unless you're really passionate like say i don't know i really want to work in the um charity sector because i feel i want to be helping people so you might you might have a real passion about working in a certain place but if you don't that should probably come almost last and it's the company culture it's the team it's the team leader the rest of the team the team culture then the company culture then the the company is probably all right going um and just take your time and equally also don't be scared of making mistakes right if you're if if you've got seven if you've got seven jobs in a row and you've been in each one three months that rings some alarms bells but if you make a mistake and you're in a job for three or six months and then you move on that's fine no one minds that as long as you don't keep doing it you can make mistakes don't be too scared about having to find the perfect role if you think this is probably good and you've got no alarm bells and especially with your first job whatever take fly about it get get stuck in do a great job and then and see where you go from there. So we do a lot of uh, talks about hacking and social engineering and, and the yeah. offensive side of security, right? Mm-hmm. So have you ever had anybody that you interviewed that had done OSINT on you, um, looked at your social media, um, dug your background, had every like talking point? Have you ever felt like or had somebody come in that had already done the OSINT on you as an individual? A little bit, not not to the point where it seems super creepy, but I've had people come in. 
and interesting some salespeople use that tactic as well so they'll come in and they'll be like oh yeah i saw your talk on this and so you they'll do so with with people in interview it's probably a good thing with salespeople. it's often just trying to get that hook hey you're amazing i saw this right. you know it's like if you get a popular linkedin post you'll get a bunch of people reply to that going oh i saw your post but you didn't really care did you but no but yeah so i've had yeah i've had a few people come and they've done that bit of prep and, and it's especially with like sort of the more junior roles there's been a couple of people that come in and be like yeah i saw your talk on this and i thought that was really good and i like the way you spoke about your team and stuff and that's they've clearly done what we've just been talking about right which is do that little bit of research and understand what the team's like and how you like to manage and i guess you know if if, if yeah obviously it's probably a bit easier with me because i talk about it quite a lot but if you can see the team leader or the manager or whatever or people from that team talking about their teams not just what they deliver but talking about team culture in public you'll probably that's a good way to get that little that sort of insight as well because they're not going to come out and say a bunch of stuff in public that's completely untrue because the team's going to go that's not right so you know you can't really talk about hey i've got this awesome team i'm really proud of them we've got a great culture they look out for each other this happened and that happened and it's it's going to be what's well, fairly likely that it's going to be true right because somebody in the team if your team's got a terrible culture is going to post somewhere that that's not true and, and we've both seen that like on social media where people are unhappy with what's happened to work or what's mm -hmm. happened with their job and they go directly to social media um, yeah. I try not to do that, but I do try to warn people as far as like companies that are definitely not, you know, on the up and up and kind of shady. Um, but I think as far as social media goes, um, not a good place to, to voice your opinion as far as uh, distaste for your position or issues you've had with a previous previous job. Yeah, no, you've um, got to be a bit careful because it's, 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 I mean, you know, it's also you've got to remember back going back that two way thing, right? Yeah. It, it's, you can have a bad relationship with the company or, or a team. It doesn't make it a bad team. It just means it wasn't right for you. And if someone was out, outwardly malicious or like you say, you know, didn't pay you or whatever else, mm. um, because it's like a relationship with another human, right? You can have an absolutely terrible relationship with someone and then you both go off thinking, what an asshole, mm. and then both have awesome relationships with someone else. Exactly. So it, it, it's, yeah, so I think, yeah, be, be, be fairly mindful unless it's legitimately kind of illegal shady bullying not paying what are those ever are those things in which case the warning may be worth it and also remember that whilst it may not be fair if you're too much of a troublemaker for other companies right. your next company might be a bit like oh, i seems really good but they've caused those problems in right. the, and i'm not sure i you know i'm not sure i want to risk having the same issue yeah so i've, I've seen that too and it's it's really difficult to you know, conceive because, you know, when I have problems with, with companies, you know, I may mention a pro I might, I may mention a problem, but I don't mention a company um, publicly. Uh, I just try to steer people away and uh, kind of give them a warning as to, to what to look out for. So new year, 2021, um, we're still in lockdown, still a lot of uh, government political issues. Yeah. What is your predictions for 2021 as far as cybercrime and, and the whole, I guess, environment of, you know, the internet? My God, ah, predictions. <laughs> I think if anything over the last year, um, I'm going to swear, but who the fuck knows? Um, <laughs> sorry, but yeah, no, um, I think, yeah, it, what's, what's interesting is, and I think what's going to bring home a lot of the stuff we've been talking about for a while is, is you know, the whole SolarWinds, Microsoft, FireEye, government stuff, um not only shows how far-reaching and how dangerous kind of supply chain compromise things can be which is really hard to manage because your supply chain and how far do you go down the supply chain and blah 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 it's, it's hard to deal with but also we're going to start seeing those things that have been so successful become the norm and then there'll be so, so i think one of the things that I've, I've been more sort of highlighting to, to the team and, and 
to my company, and I think yeah, it's worth highlighting to everyone is you, you always remember, yeah, it may not be a month, it might be six months, but this month's nation state, once it's in the world, is next month's script kitty. Oh, for sure. And I know it's a bit more complex than that because there was a lot of work went into this, but fundamentally the techniques and tools they used mm-hmm. will now become techniques that everyone tries and techniques that everyone uses um, because that's what they're learning. So, and that's now out in the wild. So they call the, you know, obviously the specific code they used, right, that's going to be spotted by every bit of anti-malware solution out there. But the techniques they used and the way they did it and those kind of things and the even the you know, stuff like, you know, you probably read all the, all the reports on it, but all the clever stuff it did like, turn itself off oh, i'm gonna look oh there's all this this anything something on the machine might that might find me i'm just gonna turn myself off i'll check again in a while i'll try and disable the services i'm on a certain domain i'll turn myself off i'm on a certain ip range i'll turn myself off all of these things it did to hide itself and then recheck and, and stuff that were really subtle and you know i think you know and that's where it gets really hard right which is the whole and i think people need to be seriously concerned if you've got any indication you were breached by this stuff just updating to the latest version of so the winds or whatever isn't enough because the, they were so good at hiding you need to rebuild pretty much everything they could have touched because they could they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done the same thing on the next machine they would use that to get in and then done something else so i think i think that's it's i guess i'm it's a bit of a tangent but it's the it's another wake-up call for everyone that this stuff is is real and really serious um and i think it will drive a lot of conversations i think you know the prediction of 2021 is, is probably the same as every year right which is more of the same there's going to be well we've got the pandemic but we've got political unrest in, in you know, a lot of the world um and we've got people being concerned and, and you've got the, the, the pandemic's leading to especially where people are struggling and if people you know I, I count my blessings having a job at all at the moment right so there's a lot of people who are struggling because they're losing their jobs and they're struggling to find work and yeah all of those things and are stuck at home so you imagine you're stuck at home with your family which isn't necessarily a bad thing but and you've lost your job and you've got all this pressure piling up and you can't do anything about it because you can't go out to find a new one so there's probably that will increase the kind of level of disenfranchised people and the level of, of kind of unrest and, and unhappiness that, that obviously needs to yeah that can lead to more unrest and um you know whether it's even more kind of political unrest or you know people on the far right or far left getting into power when there's elections because they just shout they speak out to those that are struggling or whatever else so i think we can rest assured that whilst a bit of normality will return as the vaccine comes out and people can kind of go back to a bit of normality i think there'll be still a lot of unrest and a lot of a lot of fear and, and stuff in the world that will lead to people being able to play up to that whether it's social engineering whether it's driving bad behavior you know if you think you're at risk of losing your job or you're unhappy you're probably that much more likely to be drivable or or get involved in, in the wrong things right so there's probably just a general increase in all of those people related stuff so social engineering and crime and people in work being unhappy or, or potentially more tempted to do crime whatever else so that will continue to increase obviously there's the whole remote working stuff um i guess i've been a bit blessed that where i've been has been companies that had that in place and were pretty good at it already um but i know a lot of companies struggle with that and there's literally you know, we, there's no way people are going back to five days in the office if they don't have to. After proving for a year and a half you can work for at home five days a week, there's very little argument companies can make that you can go back, you have to back in office five days a week. So that whole remote work thing is going to continue. So I think as that continues, um, we have to get better and better at it. You know, there's, there's a, um, during the pandemic, there's probably a little bit of you know, like in, in, in say way when a company has a breach and they come out really well and talk about it, the people are pretty forgiving, right? Because you're doing the right thing. Equally, during the pandemic and during having to work off like work at home, 
people and regulators and legal and, and customers and shareholders and whatever else will probably be a bit more forgiving if there's an issue related to that because you've had to do it because of the pandemic but if as we start to allow more flexible work and it becomes the norm we have to make sure we nail that down right and make sure we've got the right stuff in place for, so that to be safe um and i think the other thing i'd love to see more of is which i don't know yeah, i hope it happens this year or, or more is 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 security being you know, a, a much more intelligent around data and behavior and things so we we have so much data on what people are doing where they are what they access how they're accessing it what device they're using etc etc and that's such a rich amount of data that most organizations aren't using yet to go okay you know you're you're on the same device at the same location working in normal hours we can be quite relaxed about you because it's, it's it's not accessing the same things you know and it's it's then then i don't know but two or three in the morning you're accessing stuff a bit strange but we know you've got a kid so you probably just got woken up by your kid and can't sleep and you're doing normal things so you're just doing your normal work pretty low risk two or three in the morning you're accessing a bunch of stuff you never accessed before that's a red light right so using that intelligence to be much more clever about how we protect things and, and make data safe everywhere and, and those kind of things so so i think yeah so for me it's just more of the same but very with the big focus on kind of social and people and and, and those kind of stuff and, and silly breaches like when it gets back to summer here in the north hemisphere or summer in the southern hemisphere now people just doing being on a call and talking about sensitive stuff in their garden and those kind of silly little things where someone might overhear something so i think it's, it's that behavioral piece again that we have to kind of keep an eye on yeah i think you mentioned you mentioned uh monitoring and, and and data um and like normal behavior versus you know something abnormal um and i think that so we're fighting that in the u.s as far as privacy goes uh, but on a government level, um, because there is access to a lot of that data and a lot of things could be probably subdued by looking at that data. But there's a fine line between monitoring the data and, and actions and behaviors and basically breaching privacy. Um, I did a talk with BCS Hertfordshire um, last week, and that was one of the topics was, so you're working from home in a mixed environment, you have kids, teenagers, whatever. So not only do you have the security of your own system, your own corporate system that you have at home, but then you have to take in consideration all the devices that are attached to that same network um, play a huge part uh, in keeping your network safe. Um, just last week, there was a VPN issue uh, vulnerability that came out. So, I mean, as we work from home longer through the pandemic, there's going to be more and more exploits driven towards VPN, towards, you know, all kinds of security around working from home. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when I talk to them, I say, you know, what is your company doing as far as helping you secure that environment? And it, it's a tough question because they don't want to overreach into someone's private life, but that private life has a lot to do with the security of your own company, the data that's being transferred from a corporate laptop through a VPN or whatever. Um, and even cell phones, you know, you're no longer in the office, you're no longer plugging directly into the ethernet um, or protected Wi-Fi. You're, you're pretty much at the, I guess, the hands of your employee, right? Yeah, so it's, to an extent, I think if you're, I guess, it, it, you know, I hate the term, but I'll use it, but the whole zero trust thing, right? So you can do pretty well, I think, without, if, if you treat the network and everything else around your device as un untrusted mm -hmm. then you can kind of i think do a really good job of i i you know if we're we're pretty say say you're coming in you can be fairly strict about you on a company device or you're beginning into a citrix session or a vdi or whatever 
Um, but if you're on a company device and we've got appropriate controls on that device, so we're comfortable that device is secure, you know, or yeah, reasonably secure, we don't need to know that much about the rest of your home network because we're not trusting it. So you have strong monitoring on my work device, which I think is completely fair and appropriate because you're using it for work. And when you don't want us to monitor, you just close the lid and done, right? It's, it's your, it's, and we're only monitoring your access to the work systems. You know, and if you want to do a bit of browsing on it, that's fine, but probably be mindful that that your work knows what you're browsing. Right. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's just, that's what you're, you know, it's, it's a work device. If you, you know, imagine, I don't know, if you go back to pre-computers, you're in a factory working on a factory thing, you wouldn't start thinking, oh, I'm building a car, but I can repurpose this set of tooling to make myself a necklace, would you? you? That wouldn't even cross your mind. So why do we think the work tool laptop is something I can then do anything I fancy on? It's a work tool. Um, and most work's pretty chilled about what you do, but you just, the, 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 you have to understand that if I'm on fake, yeah, they probably can't necessarily see all the encrypted traffic or mostly, especially with banking sites and that. So I think most companies, even where they do decrypt the world of traffic are sensible about it. So if you're accessing HSBC or, or your bank of choice, we won't decrypt that because we know we trust that to be a banking site and you're not going to exfiltrate much data to your bank. So there's, you know, companies will take that risk-based approach and where your privacy is concerned, they probably won't decrypt all the traffic and you can probably ask your teams about that. Um, but I think we, a company has every right to be fairly strong on the monitoring and controls on, on a work device. Um, and as you, if you've got that in place and you know what's happening with data and you're understanding, okay, the data is coming out of it, but it's got a secure connection to us and it's only connecting to, to and from us and they can't copy data to other places on the network or to USB or whatever else. I think you can get to a place that's pretty strong without needing to know anything more about their, their environment because their stuff can't access your device and your device isn't accessing their stuff. And if they try to, you'll be monitoring that and logging it or whatever else. And then the next level up from that, which still doesn't require any access to their devices, is the whole VDI option. So you might do for your super sensitive stuff. So where people are making huge financial transfers or where admins are managing systems, you might have like a management network. So they VDI onto that. And then at that point, the only thing in their home is a, is a screen. So unless, you know, apart from filming the screen and photo in the screen, which is always going to be a risk if you're not in the office, and even in the office for most offices, because we can all have phones and you can wear Google Glass or whatever. You know, so most offices aren't strict about phones. Some are, but most aren't, right? So, so if you then go to that level where you're doing a VDI type solution for admin and, and sensitive stuff, literally the only thing in your home is a, is a screen. Right. No data ever gets to your home. So at that point, you're like, well, we're fine. You can do this anywhere as long as you're not letting someone watch the screen. Um, and especially if you're doing it from a work device, so we can be fairly, fairly sure that there's no malware on a device doing screen capture. Um, and, and then I think, you, yeah, so I think you can do it really pretty strongly <clears throat> without needing the intrusive level that you were kind of alluding to. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's like you were saying, it's that balance, isn't it? You, you want really strong monitoring on your work data and work devices without intruding the rest of my home life. Exactly. I actually think so the bigger risk is things like this, phones, because... The phone controls, you know, MDM, blah, 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 is nowhere near as good as my laptop. So I can put tools on a laptop that lock it down mm -hmm. and DL, you know, data monitoring tools and stuff that will know exactly what you're doing with data. And they, they work at rootkit kind of level, don't they? So they understand move, copy, delete. They don't understand Word or other stuff. So you can't circumvent them by copying stuff from one file to another because it just follows it as a copy process. Right. So you so can do really strong monitoring data on a device. But these I don't think we're as good at. And that's, that's I don't think we are. So that's, that brings me to a, a good point. So after we get done with uh, questions for you, I'm actually going to do a demo for exploiting Android phones and getting access you to... We've just, we've just triggered every MDM provider that's going to see this. Like, <laughs> right. We are as good. We're amazing. And they, they are good, but I just don't think it's as good. For, and, and it may not just be the, the, the solutions. It may be the companies. But most people I've spoken to in most companies, a lot of the controls they talk about are 
laptop controls and not phone controls. So I think there is there is some risk around phones and mobile devices where we're not as strong, you know, most organizations aren't as strong as, as they are with laptops and desktop type stuff. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, run a malicious APK that has been encrypted and signed. So it looks like it's legit and the phone allows it and does its update and then it opens up the phone to me, the microphone, the camera, the GPS location, all the above. Um, but we'll do that later. Uh, so does anybody have any questions for Kevin? If you do put it in the chat and we'll discuss it. So how are you dealing with Kevin with, with doing speaking engagements? I know it's been like difficult for me because we've had to rely on like remote sessions and, and the speaking engagements are still coming, but I mean, it's all remote. And it's not the same to me. I, I like being in there with the people. Yeah. I like, I like the interaction. Although, yeah, I think, yeah, part of me is like quite liked it because I can be super lazy and just do stuff from home. But I think I'm, cause I'm not, I'm not doing as much and I've been a bit kind of near. Um, the weirdest one was when I had to record something for, and that's so weird. So you sit and sit in your office or your room and you spend like 25 minutes talking at your laptop and then just send them an MP4 file or whatever. Right. And that's, I, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of, I much prefer a discussion like this or like a panel where, where there's interaction. I'm not a big fan of even, even talks, right? Cause you stand there in front of an audience and talk for 15, 20, 30 minutes and maybe a bit of questions at the end. And you can sort of tell if they're engaged, but especially if it's a bigger one where there's lights and stuff, you can't really see anyone. Yeah, exactly. So you've, got, you've got no real idea what, whether people are sitting there going like, nah, or like, oh, this is really good. And there's no feedback. And I'd much rather completely change what I'm talking about because someone in the audience starts asking questions. So um, I'd much, yeah, I much prefer interaction. Yeah. Uh, almost to the point where I'm, I'm a bigger fan of panels and discussions over talks. Yeah, so I, I remember one that you and I did together at Barclays, um, the Barclay uh, High Rise in downtown London. And literally we sat there for a couple of minutes, I think until Eliza actually raised her hand and, and asked a question. But um, <laughs> that was, yeah, I asked, I asked a question. That was so weird. Yes, yeah, so the other the, the risk of, of, of audience interaction is when I'm like, hey what do, what, what do you all think about this or what should we do about that and literally yeah the audience sat there and it's like uh guys you're all here in your own time to talk about security and none of you wants to talk or ask questions so yeah that, that was weird yeah nice to save us on that one yeah for real um yeah. but then we've had like uh talks like the conference at nisc which i thought was really cool it was a stage environment but it wasn't like overwhelming like uh mm. there was a lot of interaction and and i think that's that's where I met you and I, I met Greg. Um, I had actually met Greg way, way before that um, on the internet, but just didn't know who he was like in person. Yeah, I think um, I'm the best. Those kind of, the, the sort of 150 to 300 people size conferences. It's a really good size to have like enough people there, mm -hmm. but it's still quite personable. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, I did, I did uh, one recently um, last year uh, in Egypt. And I did it remote and it was really quite odd, right? Yeah. So they took the laptop out to the podium and turned it around. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> crazy. Like, some sort of like 80s movie, isn't it? With some sort of like strange robot walking around with your face on. Yeah, we so I can't remember what it's called. There's a little robot thing that's basically a remote control stand with wheels and an iPad type thing. So if you weren't in the office, you could call into this thing and have your face talking to your team. <laughs> So I, just, I, I watched a, a conference with Snowden and he had the same thing where, where he had called in and they had taken that same type of robot with the, with the screen. So I think the more we get stuck in this pandemic and, and stuck at home, I think more of that technology is going to come out 
because it was really, it was odd and it was really strange, but it was kind of cool because I didn't have to actually be there, but they put the laptop on the podium and I could see everybody and they could see me on the screen. And I felt like I was there, but it was, it, it was just a weird feeling. Like I, I felt like I was being taken over by some mechanical device. It was just really odd. Uh, but the more I do it, the more I get used to it. And um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. So Paul has a question. What is a skill you wish you had, but you don't yet have? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, I, I kind of veer between technical skills I don't need. So I'm currently playing through a Python book. Um, so I still like to play with technical stuff. It's totally irrelevant to like what I do, but I, I like to keep my hand in and learn still. Um, probably the, you know, when someone like, like I'm quite comfortable chatting in front of people, but you know, sometimes someone walks into the board or whatever and they're just like, hey, how's it going? And they just got this, whatever it is, this thing. And people are like, oh my God, I trust you. Yeah, if I could get in, getting better at that kind of owning the room with people where I guess it's, you know, cause I'm still pretty, you know, I'm only on my second studio gig. So I'm still pretty junior in terms of chatting to boards and stuff. So having a little bit more of that kind of owning the room rather than feeling like I'm kind of a guest there. Um, I don't know what, what, I don't know, sorry, Paul, I don't know what you call that, but but whatever it is where you kind of, I, I, I not just know I good, but I project knowing I'm good. It, yeah. that, that thing. So you get a bit more confidence. Um, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's something I'd, I'd like more of or be, be better at. Um, and I think it's easier, something like this, is because I'm, I'm pretty confident generally, but it's much easier when you're, if you're there to talk to people or, or they've asked you to come and talk to them, mm. it's awesome. When you're going in front of the board, especially if you've got a slightly adversarial third line team or something, and you know it's going to be a bit of a kind of, they're giving you a bit of a kicking for something that hasn't happened. It's 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 hard to be like, but yeah, when you, and it's hard to not sound, you know, when you're like, but we've done all this awesome work. Look at all this great stuff we've done. It's really hard to project that without coming across a bit defensive. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? When it's someone says, "Hey, you cropped this up," and you're like, "But yeah, but we did all this." It, it's it's how it's getting that across as, "Hey, we actually did an awesome job." You right. Trust us, and and having that 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 just be a little bit better. Of that I think I'd like to do be better at or do more of. I think that's a really difficult skill to obtain too, because mm. I find myself walking into a room and not wanting to be in a room. Um, but I think that comes along with, so Stu uh, Hurst talked about um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, it, was his, he, he was, it was his topic for a year or two. I think he's done some other stuff now, but yeah, he talked about that a lot for a while. Yeah. I, I think that plays a big part. So your own self-confidence and, and kind of um, it has a lot to do with personality. So salespeople are really good at projecting and, and coming into a room and taking over a room. But I think the more technical people, that's a, a skill that we really have to like hone and, and sharpen. It's not something that we're, we're kind of innately born with. Um, the weird thing is salespeople are often, often the people who know the least, not knocking them, but they're yes. not necessarily, you can walk in and, and it's, it's like that thing where you can, you can stand in front of an audience. And if they don't know you're wrong, you can be wrong and talk like you're right. And they won't. A lot of people, if you come across trustworthy, they'll still believe you. It's, it's, it's that kind of, it's that, that ability, but without being a liar, actually doing it with the real stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so another one, uh, Mohammed says, are you seeing organizations realizing they need endpoint security now that more people are working from home? So like EDR and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. I'm a huge fan of endpoint controls. I think it's one of those things where we keep going around in circles, right? If you've been around the industry for a while, it's like, you know, everything was mainframes and everything was desktops and everything was VDI and everything. But it's, yeah, so it's kind of, you go in these little cycles, and everything gets outsourced, everything gets insourced, everything gets outsourced, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, but I think, I, I think endpoint controls are super critical. Right? If you want to know what's happening with your data, 
how do you know that so it's you know you've got a lot of these things and, and they're easy to put in right so you put in the web gateway that does some email and dlp and whatever else right and it's great for stuff that goes through it but once it gets to my machine you haven't got a clue what's going on so your network endpoint to start the network gateways is it has its place but a lot of people say that hey's your dlp solution it's like yeah but it's not mate is it because i'm at home and you don't know what's on my laptop so I think you do need, I think for me, a super big fan of endpoint stuff. I think it's it's more and more critical. Um, I think the bad, you have to find that balance because no one wants 75 agents. So it, it's how you do the right thing. So like you mentioned, it's probably, you know, like a some sort of pretty advanced DDR thing that does your AV and your firewall control and your telemetry and stuff um, and, and some sort of DLP thing. And then maybe a, a, a patching or kind of management agent for the, for the, the sort of normal ops teams and that. But yeah, you definitely need an EDRE type thing. Um, and it's got to be much more than traditional AV because they're just pants. Um, some sort of data management. I, I hate the term DLP, but but yeah, something that data data management, data movement controls around what's happening with data. And, and that's again got to be, I think, we need to move away from relying on classification or relying on regex because classification, no one does well if, everywhere. No. Regex will find... Like if it's a credit card number, it'll find it, but you just put it into four different files and your stuff, right? Mm. Um, and it, if you, you say to a regex DLP based solution, give me all the PII, you're just gonna get so much stuff. It comes to that entire team. So you have to get more intelligent. I think I think that's another area we should we should get better at is DLP. How do you make DLP something that I don't need a DLP team to manage? You know, there's got to be much more intelligent ways of looking at it, like, oh, that's corporate data. You're trying to move it to a non-corporate location, some stuff like that, but also without being too onerous. So um, you can go too far the other way with it and say, right, you can't ever copy any corporate to the web, which then means I want to copy my bio to a speaker's bio page. Oh, mate, you can't copy that. So it's DLP, I think that's somewhere where we need to level up. So if you're anyone out there who does DLP, give me some proper machine learning, clever DLP that will, that will manage my data without me needing a whole team of people and a billion false positives. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, absolutely. But endpoint controls are super important. So I was looking at solar winds and, and the whole compromise and they went after FireEye. Um, and I, I know why they went after FireEye, but I, I think that we're going to see a lot in the future, like APTs going after companies like CrowdStrike, right? Who have endpoint protection and their agents on every system. What, you know, why would you go after FireEye other than intelligence and some of their clients? Um, but if you really want to do mass damage to a number of systems, you know, go after those crowd strikes, go after those McAfee's that are that are endpoint protection. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it, and it's, it's that's it's and it's yeah, I think the whole as we've seen, you often have to read between the lines of these stories. I don't think. Mm -hmm the people doing this cared at all about getting some of the FireEye tools right because they were mostly open source and available anyway so right. that was a total red herring it's all using FireEye to look at the Mandiant stuff where they've done investigations for governments and things like yeah. that that's yeah it wasn't, it wasn't FireEye at all it was the Mandiant side of things I think they're after yeah it was funny because during the riots in DC they broke into the uh, news feed and quickly said the Department of Justice um, admitted that their email server had been hacked during solar winds and 3% of the DOJ and FBI emails were, were leaked. Um, so, I mean, those types of attacks are pretty prevalent as far as like, you know, APTs going after, you know, government and, you know, department of energy and stuff like that. But I think like, uh, you know, maybe some lone wolf hackers and, and maybe some hackers for hire will actually go after endpoint. I see that being the future. Um, 
but you know, people really need companies really need to look at how they deploy uh, their employees at home, working from home, and what exactly they're using to protect that endpoint. Because you know, during my talk with BCS, I said, you know, you have cell phones in, in the same room as this corporate laptop. You may have like you know, some of these uh, home audio devices like, you know, Alexa or whatever, um, which I have one sitting right behind me that I'm about to do testing on. Uh, but, you know, th that mixed behavior and, and listening to, um, you know, those devices listening to what's going on in the room, um, stuff like that. Uh, you know, there was an exploit where they were able to grab the voice uh, recordings from the Alexa devices and, and actually play them back. So you're on, you know, corporate calls, you know, boardroom calls, whatever from home, and, and you have all these devices, something's listening, or something was listening. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm generally, I kind of generally advise people turn stuff yeah. off, so you turn it, because most of them, I've got a bunch of the Google stuff going around the house, and, um, but I generally, when I'm on work calls and stuff, they've got, the good thing is it's quite nice, they've all got physical switches, so it's yeah. like physical microphone and off switch on them all. Um, so you can do you can whenever you're in the room talking. It's the same as like not letting your neighbors listen, right? It's just making sure that you, you have that little bit of you know, like kind of operational awareness. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think yeah, because it's fundamentally they're a good thing. You know, Google doesn't give a fuck what I talk about. Like, you know, in, in the kitchen is gonna hear me and Mira talking about what dinner we're gonna have and other random stuff and dealing, you know, what what to do next for the house and what we'll call the dog if we get a dog. Whatever random conversation there's nothing of any value that, that can cause any harm, right? And it's so the risk versus the reward of being able to just like listen to music everywhere and shout it when I want to know stuff and whatever else is, is for me, it's a good fair trade off, but equally turn it off when you don't want it to listen. So another question with the recent events in the U S you missed one. Oh, I did miss. Yeah. Uh, Manan, just a couple above that about getting into, do you have any, any tips for experienced people from non IT backgrounds looking to get in cybersecurity industry mid career? It's definitely rated to hack the process where recruiters, or just ignore recruiters, right? For a start, um, I guess for me, there's, 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 it, it show. I'll jump in, Mike, if you, if you don't mind, and then go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me, it's, it's, it's same as almost with the junior stuff. It's show willing. So if you want to get into cyber, don't just come to me saying, "Hey, I want to work in cyber," and, and I'm like, "Well, what, what have you read? What are you interested in?" So do some stuff to get into that. You know, stuff like yeah, you're doing the right thing, man. And obviously, kind of listening to these talks, and you know, Mike's going to get share some shares a lot of expertise. Um, but so listen to talks, go to conferences, which is easier than ever now because they're all virtual, right? So go to some virtual conferences, um, read some books or blogs, you know, even if it's just the obvious stuff like Schneier and um, those Troy Hunter and those kind of stuff, right? So just read some of the blogs and, and dark reading and they're kind of just the news sites to find out a bit about what's going on. So when, when you can talk, when you come and talk to me, you've got some stuff I'm like hey what, what is it you're interested in well you're like well I had this really interesting talk and I've, I think I'm interested in the people side of stuff because I love like cultural things or I'd love to learn more about how applications work so I can kind of test them because you know in my current career I've got a bit of a reputation for breaking processes and improving them so you know you've probably done stuff that relates to what you want to be doing even if it's not security um, and I guess I think it's probably be realistic in terms of if you're fairly mid-successful in your career while cyber's a a fairly good salaried environment you might have to go to a slightly more junior role if it's your first role where you can't necessarily go hey i'm a i'm a senior manager at this therefore i should be a senior at this so you might have to be realistic about where you're going to go and move up like any kind of career change um, but yeah for me it's, it's showing willing being engaged um and 
maybe and it depends what you want to do if you if you know what you want to do so say you love people stuff or you want to go to a culture or an awareness type role or if you love breaking stuff maybe a pen testing role or if you come from an operational background and you love being on the cold face and dealing with issues maybe a security operations role so you can kind of maybe have an idea um, if you don't have an idea i would say secops is probably the best, best place to start because you see a bit of everything. You can get stuck in this stuff. You can understand how stuff works. You're going to deal with incidents. You're going to talk to the pen testers and all of the other people in your team because you're, you're, you're the kind of, the SecOps is like the hub that everyone has to work with because anytime they need more expertise, you talk to the cloud security team or the outstate team or whatever. So for me, SecOps is always the go-to if you haven't got a, a clear direction, start there and then work out what you love doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... When I started out, there wasn't uh, there wasn't pen testing. Um, when I started hacking and, and doing stuff like that, the generation I came up in, we actually kind of were like the, the I guess the frontiersmen, like creating that, that path. Um, so the way that the way that I came up, it was basically I stuck with with what I felt comfortable with and what I knew. Um, and but the problem was that there wasn't a lot of jobs for that. So I got in where I could, and that was in defense, um, you know, as, as far as like monitoring and, and looking at alerts and, and seeing those, those different types of attacks um, gave me some, you know, some insight as to, you know, where I wanted to go from there. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the one that created the attacks and actually carried them out. Um, so I went a different path, which takes me to the next question. Um, Lucas, we did cover, uh, you know, people trying to gain access to employees' properties and being targeted to try and gain access. Um, that's going to be a new focus. It's obviously a target. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, because if yeah, if I can get and it's you know if you're lapped, especially where you've got people that are admin from home and stuff, it's yeah that that if if you're known as a high valued target, I guess it comes out of social thing. Right, it's the whole the balance of social social media. You want to have you know I've gone down the route of being super open on LinkedIn because it, it is what it is but fundamentally that does mean I have some more risk because people know what I do and and who I work for um but yeah if you're known as you know you're all over the place but hey I'm super admin for this bank or whatever and I can do all this stuff yeah there's a small but realistic chance that someone's going to come in your house and make you do stuff on your computer you know it's, yeah. it's not something we like to think of but it, it's it, it could happen so you know absolutely and I think that's where the whole it obviously doesn't help with the individual safety, but it could do, but the whole behavioral and all those kind of things. So if, 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 you know, Jane, the admin suddenly starts doing loads of odd stuff, we're like, Oh, that's unusual. Jane's trying to steal data. Jane, you know, but she's really good and she's really trustworthy. She could be, you know, so that's where I have it again, that intelligence from a logical perspective could protect you physically. It's like, that's, that's really unusual. Let's make sure she's okay. Anyway, then you either phone her up or, get the police you know it's like it depends how sure you are something's going on and again you know, it depends what you are what you have if you have corporate management you might even be able to put on their webcam as part of your remote desktop management and see that they've got someone criminal there and then tell the police there's definitely someone there so so the logical side of things and the intelligent the intelligence we can gather could actually help protect someone in that circumstance where they can't tell you something's wrong but they're suddenly doing stuff they shouldn't be yeah so i'm, I'm going to put on a tinfoil hat for a second do you think that <laughs> the push for you know quarantine and lockdown and putting people in companies uh, separately and in, in, in homes with those, with those same type of devices like cameras and, and microphones and VoIP phones. Do you think that is a way to, do you think the government uses that as a tool to monitor what's going on? Because I know in the U S um, they definitely did uh, with X key score 
um, with some of those other projects and programs. But also the CIA had leaked a tool called Weeping Angel where they would take USBs and physically insert them into smart TVs and take control of the TV and you know listen to conversations and, and watch the video on the, on the camera. Um, do you think that governments may access those work devices at home and, and you know, that's another way to kind of get a hook. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess that question is probably broader, right? Because it's your work device may be, depending on your company, may or may not be the most secure device in the house. So they can access your work device or your personal, either way they're in your house, right? Um, but yeah, there's a whole load of conspiracy stuff on this, isn't there, right? It is, you know, I was listening to something earlier and it, it was kind of, you know, if you wanted to make America weak, you, you're, you know, any country, but they're Americans talking. And it's like, you sent everyone home. You're not letting them train. You're trying to take the guns away. And then there's all these rumors about China giving the soldiers extra stuff to make them stronger and better and whatever else. And it's, it's, you know, there's a whole, that, that you go down this whole rabbit hole. What I thought was really interesting though on the conspiracy front was the whole um, storming of Capitol Hill, right? So your country's, your, your country's entire government is in this building. We won't put many guards around it at a time of political turmoil. I'm like, that, that, even though I'm not a conspiracy theorist, that rang a bunch of alarm bells. How on earth did like a, pre, a relatively small, compared to some some kind of things, number of people right. manage to storm the government's house in a country where you have a ginormous army and lots of guns? And it's it's funny you say that because they had called up the National Guard three days before um, and put them on alert. And then there's another video where when the crowds were coming to the Capitol, police were opening barriers, waving people in, like, come on, you know, come on. And uh, yeah. so, I, you know, it's, it's sad that the U.S. has got to that point, but, you know, with all the things that have gone on with the election and all the things that have gone on with solar winds and just a multiple kind of like a triad of, of effects against, you know, our infrastructure, I think we're just seeing the very beginning of it. Um, and I think that a lot of things that used to be conspiracy are kind of showing themselves as to be, like practical operations that are actually going on. Yeah. Uh, the more information that gets leaked. Uh, and, you know, we had a bombing here in Nashville uh, a couple hours away that knocked out our internet completely. Like I haven't had Wi-Fi other than my phone. We're actually doing this on a hotspot on my phone um, since Christmas Day. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. But another thing, you know, I mean, that goes back to the whole conspiracy theory, right? guy blows himself up because he's afraid of 5g i mean come on they've already proven over and over again that 5g doesn't affect the body the way everybody says it does um but the the turmoil and the tension pandemic uh political issues the economy i think are all like a perfect storm uh to really play havoc on operations of companies and and connections across the world with the internet and i think it's only get worse from here um, so does anybody else have any questions for yeah, Kevin? There's, there. there's what yeah. advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? Oh, that's a nightmare. That's a super hard one, right? It's probably to be, to dick around less, to be honest. So, although that was probably 20 years ago, but yeah, so I've, so I've kind of got kind of, you know, where I'll be roughly where I want to be generally, you know, life's mm-hmm. fairly good. Um, probably non-career advice is don't have a kid with a woman you're not going to stay with. Because I love my little girl, but my ex partner is a bit of a nightmare. Um, just in terms of having to, you know, she's fine, she's a good mum and everything, but she's just, I have to fight constantly to see my daughter. So 
um yeah so that's that's probably advice side but i don't know how you, you do that because you can always you can you never know how these things are going to work out um career-wise i don't know it's really hard because part of me is like would have been like knuckled down so i spent my 20s you know i'm i'm, I'm a relatively clever dude lucky you know, i'm lucky and, and you know so um i spent my 20s pretty coasting pretty hard you know i did all right in my career but you know, I could probably have got to where I am five years earlier if I'd been like, yeah, focused, I want to do this and blah, blah, blah. But then equally, I had a lot of fun and it gave me a whole variety of roles, which probably helps me be good at what I do because I've got such a broad background. So, yes, yeah, a super hard one because you never know, like give someone a bit of advice and they go down this rabbit hole and, and end up miserable or end up amazing. And I'm reading this really interesting, just literally started a really interesting book. I think it's called Dark Matter. I'll, I'll share it with you. It's a fiction book. My, my Mira and my partner got me a a book subscription where once every month I get sent a random book based on some, I gave them some likes and ideas, but I've read some loads of interesting books. And this guy, he, I'm like only about 50 pages in, but basically he was a, a super, super hardcore scientist that was going to win Nobel Prize stuff. But then he met his, his wife and had a kid and is super happy. So he kind of ended up still being really good, but kind of lecturing. And then he went to a bar to congratulate his old colleague who had won all these prizes of stuff he would have done. And he was totally cool with it. But then as he was leaving the bar, this guy, someone kidnapped him and did something weird to him. And then he woke up in this room and he's now the guy, you know, he's just, he's just, he had to run away and, and run home from this place where all these people were trying to test on him. And he's found out he's still the same person, but he's in this super cool house and everything's pristine and perfect. And he's got these awards for this crazy science he's done with and all of this stuff so he's got everything he thought he would have wanted but he hasn't got the kid and and the life and I think I, I'm guessing so I've not read the rest of it I think it's going to end up with kind of exploring which do you want and you know, I've thought about that myself you know you see these people who are like super super amazing at something but how much do you have to give up to be super amazing at it so would I want to be the best at something in the world but not have the love of my life and not have my amazing daughter and friends and you know whatever that you get from not having that and being able to do sports i do a lot of physical sport, and I do sports and stuff as well if i didn't have time for all of that but i would be the grand master at something yeah so i think it's a really really hard one so yeah so bit of waffle but fundamentally um probably just keep doing what i'm doing and maybe maybe knuckle down a little bit harder so i got here a bit quicker um but you know advice my advice to everyone is do a lot of stuff right. you know, and same for my daughter I, I i did a little soppy instagram post about it the other day but the best thing we can do for our kids and for ourselves is get them to try a lot of stuff. So when your kids, and same for you, go, right, I really want to be shit hot at pen testing, or I want to be a CISO, or I want to be whatever, it's because you've done a bunch of stuff and you know this is the best thing, this, this is what you love, as opposed to this is all I've ever done, so I'd probably better carry on doing it. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get, so my little girl, we've done, you know, I got her a workbench as well as a kitchen, and your little plastic workbench, and yeah, we'll do loads of drawing and cuddling and baking, but also I got her trying to pick up, see how heavy, you've got these slam balls that you pick up and throw on the floor. I was seeing how heavy a slam ball she could pick up the other day. So she does some physical stuff and she's really cool because she's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And she's like, if I can't do it now, I'll come back later. And then she did it and it was amazing before. Yeah, so so yeah, try lots of things and, and that way you'll have a really broad experience. There's a cool book called Range um, about this, which is basically people with, with range will be much more successful in this world than people who focus too much in the long run. Yeah, sorry, I, I tend to move a bit, but yeah, I, can, I, I completely agree with that. So I've done like a ton of things, like boxing and, and traveling and, and hacking. You know, all those play like a a part in your entire being, the way you look at your current job, because you have vast like multiple life experiences, right? Um, if I was to tell myself, give myself advice ten years ago. 
Um, one would be don't be such a jackass. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's two, my advice to me 20 years ago. Two, um, don't piss off the government. And uh, three, stay true to what you believe. Um, I think that if I would have stayed the course, my, my career is actually, a lot of people ask me how, how long I've been in the industry and, and when did my career start? My real career didn't start until, God, probably 10 years ago, maybe. Um, and I spent a lot of time in my early 20s just traveling and, and experiencing different places and, and different life. Um, lived in the, in the Northwest, lived in Holland, um, all over the place. But I think that all plays a part into how I look at people, um, how I understand the world, and really just like taking a look at myself. I think that um, a lot of people in their 20s and, and younger don't do a lot of inflection. They don't do a lot of introspect to like take a minute out of their day and like just kind of think about where they're heading and what they're doing. Um, if I would have done that, I guess about 15, 20 years ago, I may not be in the same position I'm in now. Um, but, you know, I don't regret any of it. I, I've learned a lot and uh, I've been able to help a ton of people. Um, but yeah, like there are some things out there and I'm sure everybody on the, on this podcast can attest to, you know, there are things that they wish they hadn't been a part of. Um, I know for yeah, a fact, a couple of people, but I guess that point though, isn't it? If, if you now make a, a part of your career is talking about what you did and helping people get them straight and narrow. So if you'd never done that, you might not be helping as many people because you wouldn't have the experience to say, to help kids and stuff get on the straight and narrow. Right. So so why you say you shouldn't do that, maybe you should have done to make you the Mike you are today, right? Yeah, I would have liked to hold on to my passport, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe piss governments off a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> right, right. So that's about it, man. Um, There's one last question you've missed, I think. Where? Traditional versus cloud versus hybrid. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> you can take that one. That's the right answer, right? So I think, you know, you can secure a cloud, you can secure hybrid, you can secure um, both, you know, if you're in a bit of both. A lot of companies, I think most companies, even if they're not all in a bit, you know, everyone's using something cloud, whether it's a bit of SaaS, whether it's a bit of, you know, Office 365, whatever. So pretty much every company's using some cloud stuff. Mm. Um, and it's 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 always about doing it right. You know, there's, there's different paradigms. I think one of the worst things you can do, though, is when you are, in that halfway house on my greatest cloud is do in the cloud what you did on-prem because it, it's different. Mm. Yeah. The security principle is the same, like no way you do it with data patch and shit, but fundamentally the tools available to monitor and protect a cloud solution, especially looking at infrastructure at AWS, Google are very different to what you do in your data centers and don't try and do the same thing. Try and make sure you make the best of both. That's the only thing okay. I would say. Yeah, and I, I would be careful with using Office 365 because the SolarWinds attack also focused on Office 365. Um, so with that, if you guys have any more questions for Kevin, um, you have my email address and I can definitely get those over to him. I'm going to try this demo. This is the first time we've done a live demo um, without like me recording a video and actually doing it beforehand. So I'm hoping it doesn't completely fail. Um, but I've what we're going to do is I'm going to show you guys how I exploit um, Android phones. This kind of goes back to the whole working from home and, and that environment. Um, so give me just a second, Kevin, if, if anybody has any more questions, um, 
you know, give me yeah, man, I'm around. Give me any time. Yeah. Um, give me about two minutes and I will start the web share so you guys can see the screen share so you guys can see what I'm doing. All right. So sharing. So actually right now we're going to, um, I've actually stopped the recording so you guys can do whatever you want to. Uh, and I'm going to stop that share and share something else. Uh, let's see. All right. Can everybody see uh, that screen? Yes, no, maybe. Okay, good. So I've already set up Metasploit. I've already ran, I've already created my APKs. Um, and we're going to, yeah, there we go. I'm going to set up a listener. If I can get over to the other one, there we go. So what I've done, you'll see that I've created an APK. Um, the one that I've created is Cyberpunk 2077, uh, popular game. People are looking for mobile versions, I'm sure. Um, and the way that I run this exploit, if I was to do it maliciously, right, which we won't talk about that because that's my past. Um, but I would advertise this or I'd build it into a website or, you know, really push this out to open forums, Reddit, whatever. And I would host this on something like AWS or a machine that I've taken control of remotely. Um, and so with my cell phone, I'm actually going to uh, grab that APK and execute it right now. Um, so you can see the effects and what happens uh, once you do that. And I've actually ran this APK through an encryption device um, to kind of hide it and sign the, because the, the big thing is being able to sign the uh, APK to make it look legit. So it's got a certificate. The cell phone obviously didn't stop the, uh, the exploit or the APK. Um, so at this point, I'm in the cell phone with this, this interpreter session. Um, and so let's take a look at what we can do. Uh, so all of these, all the commands that are listed as far as, you know, what you can do with a cell phone, screenshot, screen share, um, you can go actually into the file system. You can dump uh, logs, you can dump SMS messages, phone calls, um, whatnot. So right now I'm going to try this with this window with a share. I can't promise it's going to work because it's video, um, but I'm going to stream the camera from the phone, which is not looking. There we go. Uh, it's very slow because I'm on a Wi-Fi that uh, is a hotspot, uh, but you can see what it can do. Um, given you know a better connection, whatnot, you could actually take a look at uh, what was going on. Um, so I'll stop that, hopefully. There we go. All right, so another thing you can do is geolocate. So with this function, you can set the geolocate to pull however many seconds or minutes or hours you want. So this comes in handy maybe if you exploit somebody's phone and you wanna take a look at where they're going and kind of map it out, right? Um, I'm going to do this and it's gonna give away my location. 
but at this point, everybody knows where I'm at anyways. So when you do the geolocate, it'll actually give you the Latin long. Um, and if you have a Google API key, you can actually map that out. So imagine you run that, you pull it for you know every 30 seconds or whatever, and you can map out the direction and exactly where they're at. Uh, so let's do, I don't know, let's do dump SMS. Let's look at some of the messages that are on that phone. So it saved it. And let's go take a look at those SMSs. You know, this is one of my favorite exploits and it's, it's one of my favorite uh, tools to use as far as breaking into stuff. So let's take a look. So there you go. So incoming, of course, this is an old phone. Um, I have something from the NHS. I'm sure they're not too happy with me. Uh, and AT&T talking about COVID and, and all that good stuff. Um, so let's go back to Meterpreter. Uh, let's take a look at some other stuff that we have. Uh, you have the dump SMS, you have the call log. Let's take a look at the call log. So we have the call log, copy and paste, and take a look at the details. Um, hopefully I didn't call anybody important. So yeah, it looks like I called myself the haunted. Um, so there's tons of stuff that you can do with this, right? And I'm not going to tell you how to actually uh, take this APK and put it through some encryption and, you know, add certificates. It's a little complex, but on top of that, I really don't want to be responsible for a bunch of people from this podcast going out and exploiting people's phones and it coming back to me. But you can also take screenshots. You can take, um, you can listen to their microphone for X amount of seconds or however long you want to. Uh, you can play an audio file to that phone, which I, I thought was really cool, um, which, you know, if you think about it, you, you spread this exploit over um, a number of, of phones and you can broadcast a WAV file to all your targets, uh, which can be kind of haunting, um, if you will. Uh, but so I ran this before and actually did a, you know, kind of a test and, and to see who would actually download the APK. Um, I put it in a forum and it wasn't a malicious APK, but it was just an APK to see how many people would actually hit on it. And we set up uh, a machine and hosted it. And it was insane. Like every five seconds I was getting a hit. Um, and, you know, think about that as far as targets that are, that are being exploited and you could possibly own, you know, an entire, well, a good majority of a service provider network and their phones just based on one APK that gets put on a website um, and people download. Um, you can also monitor their screen with like uh, screen shares and stuff like that. Um, the file system is very interesting. So once you get into the file system, uh, you can go into their photos. Um, you can go into, and there's actually a thing here for, for um, the contact list which I thought was really cool. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to use an interpreter to do this. Um, 
I would suggest that you guys take a look at, at different tools that you can use, uh, different ways you can wrap the APK. So the big thing about the APK, so let's say you want to host this in like the Google Play Store. The Google Play Store looks for legitimacy of the file, right? They'll take a look at the file, look and see if it's signed um, by the uh, by the programmer or the, you know, the producer of the of file. Um, and look at that certificate, make sure it's legit. So there's several different tools out there that you can do this with um, and make it look legitimate and really cause a lot of damage. So in pen testing, we don't normally use these types of devices unless you know they're asking for you know a complete pen test with you know we want to use you know we want to test people's cell phones, company phones, whatnot, see if they actually are vulnerable. And I can tell you that every Android device that I've tried this on has not stopped it. Uh, and it's because of the way that I've wrapped the APK and had it signed with uh, an encryption key and, and the key store is, is legit. Um, so it's completely effective. Uh, the only thing you have to be careful for is once they grab the APK, making it persistent, right? So let's say they, they lose their internet connection or they shut down their phone. Uh, you want to build this into the Android oper operating system as something that's persistent. Uh, and I won't, I won't go into that because again, you know, it's a little bit, probably a little bit too much information. Um, but persistence is key, complete access is key. Uh, you can actually upload files to the phone uh, whether it be malware, ransomware, whatever, um, you can upload it to the phone. Um, you can force the phone to accept other APKs, other malicious APKs. So you kind of get an idea there. I, I know we tried to go over this a couple of weeks ago and because of different reasons it wasn't working, but now you get the gist of what I was talking about then. If you guys have any questions about how to, to operate this or you know build the APK, how I built the APK, and what I use to uh, wrap it with, um, I could probably give you a little bit of limited information if you ask, but I'm not gonna go into that here because it's probably above most people's heads. Um, so with that, do you guys have any questions as far as um, you know the, the Android hacking and, and stuff like that? And I'm gonna go ahead and, and unmute, ask everybody to unmute and give you guys rights to, um, do your video. So feel free. Anybody? There's Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Yo. So uh, we have a lot of people here. Um, I want to thank Kevin too for, for showing up and being part of uh, the podcast. Um, he and I go way back and I'm proud to call him a friend. Uh, so questions, what MSF module are you using? So Colin, the module's really easy. Um, it is the Android. Uh, you can see, let me, well, let me just control C this. Um, oh. within Metasploit, huh? Go ahead. It just said the host would like me to unmute, so I muted. Oh, 
Um, let's see. So the module that I'm using within um, Metasploit, so I'm not actually using a module. I'm using a handler, a multi-handler um, for the Android. And so with, with that, you set the Android and the payload, which is the interpreter payload for the Android device. And um, then you set your local host, you set your port, and then you just run it. And it basically acts like a netcat listener and uh, it listens on the port. I would suggest not using port 444, which is the, the default, maybe hide it in 443 or 8080 or web traffic. Um, that's probably the most effective and the least uh, picked up on. Have you tried to run it on an Android device with any kind of malware protection software on it? So, yeah, so I have with, with uh, the one in the UK and didn't have a problem with it because when something is coming over and it's signed, a lot of the malware uh, antivirus applications for cell phones, which are very few and far between, um, look at that and say, oh, well, it's signed, it's encrypted, there's not much I can see. Um, any type of antivirus has a problem with looking past the encryption. And uh, so that's kind of a protection level. Um, who else? <laughs> I'm sure, Patrick, you've used a uh, interpreter for Android devices and done APKs, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, you wanna share some information um, about it? Uh, yeah, so, um... I pack them up pretty good. Um, so I, I mean, I got experience in uh, Java programming and stuff like that. So, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, my advice for trying to block something like that is not only on the certificate level, but, but you know, watch port traffic, obviously. Um, mo most kids are, are, are like you said, that we're going to use 8080 and 444 you know something simple uh, you know mo most of them are um you know just out there trying to see if they can get somebody you know <laughs> yeah exactly um me i'm a little more sophisticated um you know i use uh, port numbers that are unrecognizable um you know and uh definitely you know uh you, you got to understand ssh tunneling uh pps uh you know, so it, there's a lot more to it than, um, you know, just hosting it on your cow EV. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's why I mentioned like AWS and external servers, because there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can host that file and get away with it. I mean, it's, it's really simple, but you have to look at the whole anatomy of the attack, right? You have to look at the way the APK responds, the way that, um, the Play Store or whoever looks at that APK when you execute it on a phone. Um, and the payload, the payload is really important as well. Uh, but if you can wrap it with some level of encryption and be successful at it, and like you said, like the the, the Java signature um, and certificate is like really important. And that's kind of, that's where, that's where I went with it as far as like wrapping it and um, deploying it was, I used a lot of, a lot of that. Um, so anybody else have any questions? <laughs> Was thinking more zero day type protections. Um, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know, um, any type of zero day protection or, uh, antivirus or anti-malware for androids. 
because when, when you talk about zero day protection, you're talking about something protection for something that's not known. Uh, that's very difficult to even begin to fathom uh, because if it's something, if it's a zero date, there's nothing that's going to stop it uh, until it's identified, analyzed and, and put into some sort of engine. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use zero day in that. I, I would use more complex or complicated uh, attacks, uh, something that, that detects that. So um, what else? And this is, this is your guys' time. Like you can open up your mics and, and ask questions and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the exploit or even how I did this, but um, we can talk about whatever you guys feel is important. You just want to shoot the shit or whatever. What I do want to talk about and kind of promote is next week, uh, me, Patrick, uh, I don't see Ghost Exodus. He was here earlier. Ghost Exodus and... Uh, Alberto are going to all get together and have a joint uh, podcast talking about our lives with different groups. Um, we all come from some very complex backgrounds. A couple of us, <laughs> a couple of us have just recently gotten out of uh, federal, um, I guess, uh, oversight. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be really cool. Uh, and all of us are, have been in different groups which kind of cross paths and kind of mixed and splintered and yeah, it's going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to it. I agree. But, yeah. uh, um, mixture of, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. It, it's so weird when I meet people and, and then you find out, you know, that background of them, you know, and they're like, Oh yeah, I knew you. You're, you know, I seen you in a chat room one time or something. Yeah. It's just amazing. You know, like, uh, over the years, it's, it's been interesting, man. So yeah. happy to be a part of the community. For sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember when you got sent to me and, and I was kind of like, why, you know, why do I need to talk to this guy? And then, <laughs> then I figured it out right. and it was kind of like a, a jaw dropper. And then all of a sudden here comes Ghost Exodus. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I kind of remember that too. And it just spreads. Right. right? So I think we're all kind of getting over that past situation and kind of catching up and like the term birds of a feather flock together is an absolutely true mm -hmm. term because I think people like yeah. us with our mindsets, doesn't matter how much time or how much distance has, has occurred. We always seem to find each other on the internet somehow. And it, it's weird. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's wicked. I agree. Yeah. So we can't unmute ourselves. It's still disabled. Um, let's take a look. I have a question, Mike. It's Vicky. Hey, Vicky. Um, but I'm not putting my camera on because I'm like really tired and mm. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, I will finish that too. <laughs> <laughs> you look fine. <laughs> but um, I don't know. You guys talked about. I missed the beginning. So before um, your friend was on, but did you all talk about what happened at the Capitol? And um, just just briefly. Uh, we didn't go into too much detail about it, um, but I'll give you my I'll give you my take on it, like a ten thousand foot view. I think that um, looking at the data, looking at the the talk and the chatter on the dark web, looking at analyst comments, um, kind of observing from afar the whole situation, it was really interesting to see how the current president directed everybody to the Capitol that was at that rally, 
and, and then took off and watched it from a tent um, as the Capitol <laughs> Police opened the barriers and was waving people in. Um, and then it got out of hand and, and things happened. It just, it seems to me like there were two sides of it, but they were working together. Um, and I don't think we'll probably ever know the truth about what happened, but I think the whole thing was staged. And, you know, to think that Pence would go against the president and the president not know is kind of, I don't know, it, that doesn't ring true to me. Um, and looking at some of the analyst comments and some of the chatter on the dark web, I think that, you know, there's, there's more to come. Um, don't get me wrong, but I think we're looking at a new type of government and maybe a new uh, environment um, with more outside influence. When I say outside influence, I'm talking about, you know, maybe some not interference, but some influence with red countries. Um, I think that's kind of where we're headed, especially with Biden. Because I was thinking that maybe part of the people that were going in there were definitely foreign operatives. And well, they've, they've identified quite a few people that were in there that, that had been part of other movements like Black Lives Matters, like um, Antifa. Uh, they tried to identify one guy and say he was communist, but it was actually the tattoo on his hand was actually a gaming tattoo of some sort, which was really off. There was a couple of people that were politicians' sons or judges' sons. Um, there, we'll ne like I said, we'll never know the truth about what really happened um, unless an email server gets popped and we see that that communication back and forth, uh, which you know I. I could assume that there's probably some groups that we may or may not have been associated with. They're probably looking at that right now. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? You guys can unmute yourself. Hi, Mike. Uh, I just wanted to go back to the the exploit you tried running and you were referring to uh, packing the APK before. I've done some basic uh, Android applications. What did you mean by packing? I didn't really understand that. So when you create the APK, you have to put the payload in, right? That The APK has to have some sort of, uh, I guess, transportation back to where you're at. So you have to embed that payload into the APK. Now, once you, when I say pack, so there's several different applications like command line that you can use uh, to, to create APKs that have malicious payloads, right? So Fat Rat, you know, I know Patrick probably knows what Fat Rat is. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Shell, like Shell Empire, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, those tools are used to create like different uh, APKs or EXEs or ZIPs or whatever that have uh, malicious payloads inside. And you can choose whatever payload you want. Like I use this because it gives me more control over the phone. Um, but I could have I could have set something up that made the phone call back on like a you know SSH tunnel or whatever. You can make it as complex as you want, depending on what the, what the operation is and, and and what you want to achieve. But more importantly, so not not only packing the APK, but actually doing the uh, signing of the certificate and making it look legit. That's the most important part. So I would say, look at how to sign APKs with Java. 
um, look into learning about key stores and how those work and uh, maybe create a couple and test them on your, you know, your own devices at home. Um, depending on how, how much you practice and, and what you learn about um, the architecture, the Android architecture and the way that it uh, verifies different packages, um, you'll have to play around with it and find out what works the best for you. Um, but, you know, each person is different. Each hacker has their own routine. They have their own, uh, really their own set of tools that they, they like to use that they're comfortable with. And, uh, you know, just go from there and do a lot of research and, and learn about key tool. If you learn about key tool, you'll, you'll learn a lot about what I do. Hmm. Anybody else? Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Mike? Oh, not too bad. Another, another exciting lockdown time again. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's more uh-huh. about the exploit. I'm afraid I'm uh, completely green with this sort of stuff. Um, I'm assuming that exploits like that that you've placed on the phone, obviously, probably invisible mm-hmm. to the user of the phone um, and the like. And I would assume as well that accessible from anywhere yeah anywhere like so when when you build the payload you're going to hard code the ip address for that payload um and the port that you know the the receiving end is going to listen to so the way that we used that type of communication or that type of exploitation uh previously was we would compromise a like a machine overseas or um look at a, a shell server that we pay time on, or maybe like a AWS platform and build the listener onto that platform or that, that shell device and hard code the uh, APK to call back to the IP address. Um, and at any one time I could have, you know, 50 sessions going at once with different phones or, or different devices. So <laughs> does that answer your question? Yes, it answers the question. Is it, like I said, it's, it's not something that I'm very knowledgeable about. Um, my question is probably very basic in, in mannerism and things. Uh, but like, so, like everything else, it's something I probably have to read up a bit more about, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, so the way that I look at, at hacking, right? So we have people who are like uber great at like web hacking, web app, you know, that, that's their thing. And then we have other people who are great at like creating malware. And then we have people who, you know, focus on creating botnets. Uh, that's just, my specialty is I want to intercept communications. And so looking at cell phones, there's so much data on cell phones because people live their lives on cell phones now. Oh, and yeah, the, the knowledge and, and the information you can steal from a cell phone, it's like a treasure trove. Uh, so I really focused on that. I wanted to see the best way to get into those phones. I wanted to try different avenues and, and different attacks and, and see what I could do to be, uh, to be stopped and, and what got past those defenses. And uh, over a matter of time, it, you know, it, it became really easy. And you got to think about it too. So like the government does the same thing. Um, they'll access cell phones and, and cell phone records and all the above. Some warrant, some warrant less. Uh, but really it's the same, it's the same methodology. Uh, and they probably use some of the same tools. Um, 
because they're effective and you know pick your pick your poison figure out where you're strongest at when it comes to exploitation if that's your thing and focus on it until you get it mastered you know it may take a year it may take two years who knows um but mine is voice communications uh communication intercept and data exfiltration so and i know patrick yours is what yours is a lot of application hacking and, and web stuff right um i mean if <laughs> If I had to classify myself as something, um, I would say like a system hacker, you know, um, you know, as about as uh, rounded as you get it. Um, only because um, I have an IT background, you know, so um, I spent most of my career in IT um, while being a hacker, you know, so, um, you know, living the double life more or less. Um, yeah. Couldn't wait to get off work, <laughs> you know. Um, so I developed, um, probably over the last 15 years, different sets of skills, you know, I've concentrated in each area, you know, a little bit, um, you know, some things like you do, you know, that I've never gotten into, um, like signal intelligence and stuff like that. So I, you know, I never really touched too far into that area, but, you know, I'm pretty good with Wi-Fi hacking and, and radio technology as it is, but, um, yeah. You know, there's some things that I'd like to improve in myself, but, you know, and, and that's what being a computer hacker over 15 years, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, like, you know, where did you get started? And I'm like, I just got started, <laughs> um, you know, find something, you know, that interests you, um, you know, by playing is doing because, um, I think one essential skill computer hackers have is I have the ability to just, if, if I'm after, was after you when I was a computer hacker, I would spend a year, literally a year of my life. Every chance I get, <laughs> I, I would be packing out your website, um, looking for a way in. And as soon as it was vulnerable, I was getting them. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty much how, how hackers really think, you know, you know, and, at an IT level, you know, I, I applied, obviously, what I was doing in my fuck off time <laughs> um, to my job, you know, and it made me an effective IT manager, um, you know, so it's been yeah. pretty interesting coming up in the community, you know. <laughs> I think most of us had um, kind of a double life. We, we had that nine to five job and we'd yeah. go home and, you know, maybe sometimes play around at work, you know, looking at the infrastructure at work. You know, I know that when I became a director of security, I would, you know, test the network myself and yeah, just play, play with new tools and see how our, our network reacted to it. Um, mm -hmm. But all that was sanctioned. But when I was doing illegal stuff, I was actually taking data and exfiltrating and finding ways to hide database structures and stuff like that. Um, but really, it's all about jumping in and just putting your hands on it. I mean, the internet has all the information you need. Uh, it's just a matter of having that motivation and the patience and the time to sit down and, and really teach yourself a skill. Uh, and I can't, people ask me, you know, how'd you learn what you do? And that's the toughest question anybody can ask me. Like, I hate that question at conferences and when I'm doing talks because mm. I don't know how to answer that. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an like ability. That, yeah. It's like, it's like we're, we were kind of like born with that ability, like that, that ability mm. to think that way. Um, and I can't teach that to anybody. It's not something I can say, okay, yeah, um, this is what I do to look at a system. It, 
my mind, I think, works a different way than most people's. And I think probably Patrick's outside the box thinkers, yeah. um, you know, because where whereas most people who were um, like, for example, software developers, and they've never done anything in computer hacking, right? They write code and they, they can write more code and shit than I ever would imagine I can do, right? Right. But when it comes to like actual physical hacking, system hacking, you know, they're lost. Um, you know, I could tear apart their code in 10 minutes where it took them two years to write. <laughs> right. Um, it's because I'm not looking to um, rebuild their code. I'm just looking to screw it up. <laughs> and, and once I do, how do I, um, you know, use that? To my advantage you know with whatever i'm doing so yeah it takes it takes a level of creativity too i think uh yeah a creative mind is something that we all share uh, right because you know just why like not that, exactly <laughs> try it why not <laughs> yeah I, th I think uh i was asked a question about lock picking um last night and they said you know how do, how do you do that and my my answer was i just close my eyes and feel my way around like it, it, it's about envisioning what's going on on the other end and that's i think that that pertains to network hacking and, and web app hacking and stuff like that is you have to like you really have to envision it in your head as to to what's going on while you're doing the operation um so it's it's really you know have you well, have to have, have that creative creative ability and for example like you know a lot of what we've done you know and like hacking and hacktivism you know, this uh, structure around a lot of like cyber war, you know, um, there, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that went on in the community. Um, people don't realize, you know, um, five or more can gather for whatever reason, for whatever purpose and, and make a bad day for somebody. Right. <laughs> um, so there's always that, um, you know, threat of from for whatever reason. Um, so Learn, learning those tactics, learning learning how hackers think is, is very important on um, cybersecurity. Yeah, and especially know how. Yeah, yeah, in, in the community too. I see like back in the day, I saw new people come into the community and they didn't know anything. They were complete, for lack of better terms, they were noobs, right? So they come in the community and yeah. they start asking questions. You know, can you teach me how to do this? Can you teach me how to do that? And back then, that was looked down upon. Like we wouldn't help those people. You know, no. because the the craft, the trade craft <laughs> that we had, it was like our trade craft is our is our our secrets, right? Was and, no GitHub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was no GitHub. You had to learn it by yourself. And so when people ask me, you know, can you teach me to be like you? And it's like, how do I do that? Like, I, I don't think I'm capable of cloning myself. I, I don't think I could take somebody and give them what I have completely. Um, because I didn't have that. I wouldn't know how to teach the way that I learned other than just being curious and having that, I wouldn't say malicious mindset, but that, that dark streak that sometimes I dance the line. And back then I would go over the line to see where it would take. Right. Yeah. Our, our generation was a, a little bit different. Um, yeah. You know, I, I tried to do that, you know, especially like in hacktivism, you know, I'm like I've been a computer hacker a long time, but when I got into hacktivism, different story. Um, yeah. One thing that I always enjoyed, though, is um, through the community, I would always, uh, you know, get these kids now five, six years later that knew me mm -hmm. back in the day, you know, like all oh, you inspired me and, um, you know, to see them doing good and they're on the right side of cybersecurity and 
uh, they got their OSCP or, or something like that, and, and they just went a complete the right direction because, you know, they, they seen it as a different mindset. You know, I always told them, like, um, you know, you don't have to steal people's money to be a com good computer hacker. You never yeah. had, like, you know, and I respected the guys from, like, Shadow Crew and, like, like all, all those old groups and stuff like that. I've been around the community a long time, but um, I think that, you know, you, you really don't have to really commit some severe computer crimes to like be an actual, you know, elite hacker or somebody that's respected in the community, you know, um, right. you, you can do your thing and <laughs> yeah. easily, you know, gain and I think, respect. And I think that's kind of like the backbone of, of the haunted crew is that a lot of us come from that background. We've committed yeah. you know, some serious cyber crimes, but the way that we look at it now is, you know, the world's a different place. We're different people and we're going to make a difference the way that we know how. Um, right. And that's sharing information, you know, kind of doing some tutorials to teach people, you know, what we, a little bit of what we know and just being a sounding board for, you know, people coming into the industry and kind of give people the idea of, you know, this is a route that this person took, like Kevin took this route. Um, Greg took this route and give you like yeah. a wide variety of successful people that we know and the different ways that they got there. And you can take that and kind of look at your own life, your own skills and, and figure out where you want to be and how to get there. Because back then we didn't have that. Um, there was no yeah. such thing as, you know, internet security when I first got in, that was something that, that we kind of like trailblazed. Uh, Hacking was like more of like a, a rebellion. Remember, like yeah. it, it was like our counterculture. Like we, we just did it to, you know, we fucking smack somebody up and laughed about it. And yeah. Like cool, you know, and and we would read like the frack or you know stuff like that back in the day. But <laughs> and the hacker manifesto was, and all that stuff. Right, and that's about as far as we got. We never really had like. Um, I remember when. Uh, there was uh, some some set of scripts. What was it called? Wax or something. And and then uh, that was like a precursor to like backtrack. And I, I remember when that came out, you know. And it was probably uh, 2006, seven, something like that. But yeah. um, I, I remember jumping on it. I'm like, sweet, you know. I'm like, yeah. I have to write my own shit. <laughs> like it was just convenient to have like all that set of tools, you know, one spot. And, yeah. You know, not, but not have to scavenge. As time has gone by, though, we've seen that type of, uh, I guess, tool set or whatever evolve into platforms for pen testers. And, and a lot of the stuff is automated. And what I found is yeah. that people will learn those tools and not really know what's going on behind the scenes, like not know how that tool really works and the exploits behind it. So when people come to me and say, hey, you know, do you know how to use uh, Rapid7, uh, Nexpos or, or, or whatever, you know, teach me how to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to teach you how to use a platform. You need to go out, look at the code, figure out how that exploit works. Because, you know, you start firing exploits at random stuff. You don't really know what's going on. You can cause a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And people, and they're not educating themselves on, on what really happens. And, and no Hail Mary. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't learn the methodology and the mindset and, and how to approach a network or a system. And they're told, you know, just plug this in and, and you know, hit this button. And yeah. the whole AI thing and, and the whole automation I think does the whole uh, industry a, a really bad disservice because 
the more automation that gets involved with pen testing, the less the humans involved. And really it's the human mind creativity that makes a pen test successful. It's not the tool. Yeah. It's the knowledge of the tool and the creativity to use that tool in various like complex situations. Uh, Johnny says, isn't it curiosity and passion that drives one forward? What is focused on is individual. Some dig deep, others are content with less, e.g. your explanation with tools versus detail. Yeah, I mean, so the whole, I guess, definition behind what is a hacker, um, I think in the manifesto, the hacker manifesto, they mentioned mm -hmm. something about hacking is not, um, you know, a, a physical crime or malicious crime. It's a crime of curiosity, um, which it is. So a lot of us have been caught up in, you know, let's say uh, a cyber crime that was strictly spurred off of being curious. And a lot of us, our natural, you know, background or the, or the way we are as a person is curious. You know, I've, I've been curious since I was a kid digging into. So I'll tell you a little story about curiosity that got me into a lot of trouble that um, mm. has nothing to do with hacking or computers, but shows that curiosity, right? So when I was a toddler, my grandmother had a tear gas gun in her closet. And I was always told to stay out of the closets. Well, you tell me to stay out of the closet, I'm going to plunder. I'm going to take my opportunity. I'm an opportunist. I'm going to wait until that closet's open. I'm getting in it. Um, so I found this tear gas gun. I think I was like three, maybe. And I pick up this tear gas gun and I shoot myself in the face with it. Because so obviously I didn't know what it was, but I knew you had to press something. And nearly blinded me. And so that same curiosity never stopped. You know, you would think that when, you know, a kid puts his hand on a stove and says, oh, that's hot. He's not going to walk up to something else that looks just like it and do the same. Um, but I always wanted to test everything around me, whether it be a radio, a TV, a VCR, um, a laptop. I remember destroying my mom's first laptop that she brought home um, with a virus I had written. So it's all about curiosity. And I don't try to stifle people's curiosity i just try to get them to contain it and when i talk to kids i tell them that once you do have that ability to do the things that we do it's like a superhero and they can they can equate to that because they look up to that type of stuff and they're, they're interested in it and i tell them you know with, with great power comes great responsibility so you really have to contain yourself and, and learn how to uh, i guess put yourself in check um, and that's something that i didn't learn probably there's some things. yeah there's some things that definitely have to be said and it's something that you know i've been trying to uh you know speak out against you know it's like i've been a computer hacker a long time it professional and everything i've never seen people slam in hospitals and uh you know what i mean like you ever see that mike i've never seen that in my life because yeah. no matter how skilled a computer hacker is he it if he has that type of mindset and thinks like in, in degree that, that I think we all think like, um, he's not going to do nothing like that and put people's lives in jeopardy for, no. for a buck. No, no. Um, that's definitely where, you know, it's more nation state because being under orders and under morals are two different things. Right. They, they, they don't equate. Um, right. you're being told what to do. Whereas a normal computer hacker like me, you know, it's like, I'm not going to nail some hospital with ransomware. Like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> you know, like, like, it's just incredible what's going on. I, I never thought I'd see today, you know? Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like, 
I don't see why someone would attack like a, you know, a retirement center or, you know, insurance companies, you know, other than to make a buck. Uh, but that's yeah. not who we, that's not who we are. But that, is that, is that not just criminal intent? The ones that are just after the money? Well, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not just criminal intent, right? So a lot of organized crime that, especially right now during the pandemic, all those organized crime groups that operate on the streets um, had to move to another way to make money because they're not allowed on the streets. So they went to the cyber realm. So a lot of these people you see running ransomware or running uh, phishing schemes, those are your organized crime groups that are trying to capitalize on a bad situation. Carters have, um, you know, you have a whole, not, a whole systematic level of steps, you know, so you got the hackers, you know, we, we, we hack into the database, you got mules, you got cash cows, you know, there's several different, um, you know, entities involved with it now. It isn't just somebody, you know, hacking and dumping some cards and, and making some money off of it like they did back in the day. Um, it's it's really thoroughly organized. Um, nation states pretty much primarily take part in it. Um, for example, like North Korea, you know that as well, Mike. Like, I mean, that, that's probably like a good portion of their budget. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. Uh, cyber crime, right? <laughs> yeah. And like China, like when sanctions get put on countries, all of a sudden you see like cryptocurrency, you know, get spread <laughs> yeah. around because that's the only way that they can not be traced financially, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the things that you see like on TV and, and the cases that are exposed publicly, um, there's a reason for it. And a lot of it is making a example out of people. Um, but you rarely hear about, you know, hackers stepping in to help, uh, but it does happen. It happens quite a bit. Uh, you know, a hacker yeah. helping law enforcement identify, you know, a person of interest. That does happen a lot, but you know we're, yeah. we're always looked at as, you know, the evil people or the boogeyman. Um, I've seen people. Uh, what was it? Uh, the Steubenville. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. So it's a prime example of somebody, you know, getting getting information that the cops didn't even have themselves, and yeah. he goes to jail longer than the people that <laughs> committed that crime. I was like, that blew my mind. I, I remember that. I was like, wow. But and look at some of the stuff that we did with Anonymous, you know, like taking down ISIS yeah. profiles, um, putting together whole case files of, of thousands of pedophiles mm-hmm. and handing them over to law enforcement. But they were considering that a crime. You know, it, we were being looked at as like hindering investigations. And I'm like, no, no, we didn't hinder anything. We finished your investigation. Like the data is here. You don't even have to worry about investigation. Back in the day, the the feds told me all I needed to know, like what Aaron Swartz and, and stuff like that. Like I was just like, wow, <laughs> you know, like thirty years for that. Like, yeah. like you know, I'm like, it, it's really hard to rationalize. Mm-hmm. I would say that United Kingdom, um, other European countries, um, they have a little bit better of policy. Uh, uh, driven uh, laws governing like uh, cyber crimes, especially yeah. if it's around hacktivism or something like that. Because, um, you know, I'd like to think of that as, you know, like we always explain through the documentaries, like, you know, it's no bit different than me uh, getting 40 of my friends and preventing you from getting on the bus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we're, we're just trying to, you know, get our messes across and 
move along. You know? Yeah. And I, I talked to uh, the first big crowd that I talked to in Europe. Um, one of the questions was, uh, you know, as far as DDoS, you know, do you think that is, is illegal? And I'm like, you know what, if you look back to the sixties and seventies, right. And they had the protests of Vietnam and people would have sit-ins and it would sit in front of doors to buildings and keep people from accessing those buildings. Um, you don't see them getting like 20, 25 years in prison for that. You see them probably going for 24 hours, maybe. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, the cyber laws are very immature. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot to actually bring those to the forefront and change them. Um, That's a good point. Like um, there, there, there should be, you know, different statutes that govern, you know, financial crimes, hacktivism, um, you know, and, and cyber, cyber stalking. And there's, there's other issues out there, you know, that I've seen um, that got brought to my attention, probably near my, the end of my little hacktivism reign, but um, you know, like some cyber crimes that, you know, I never really thought took place until, you know, you meet people that um, have those experiences and you're kind of like shit, you know, like, you know, what, what I knew and, and my, my type of uh, people would never do something like that, but other people learn the shit I know to, to do that. And it, it just, you know, so I, I feel like it taints what a, what um, computer hackers really are, you know, which are people who, in a nutshell, love technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's really what it is. Yeah, and, and curiosity and stuff. Okay, so yeah. next weekend, um, we'll continue this conversation with me, Patrick, and with uh, Ghost Exodus, and with Alberto, hopefully. Um, so same time uh, next weekend, we have... A store now, the Teespring store with all the Haunted Hacker merchandise, we have that. Um, we have the Discord server. Uh, we also have a Twitter account um, with all that information on it. So everybody's welcome on the Discord. Uh, but the same rules apply as, as a podcast. You know, if, if you start, you know, causing trouble, whatever, you get hit with a band hammer and uh, we won't let you back. Mm. Um, so be con- like kind and courteous and not talk a bunch of noise. Uh, so this podcast has like really grown quite a bit. Like I'm really surprised and you know, I'm excited about the future of where this is going. And like I said, tech strong TV Me has too. offered to host this podcast on their platform and help promote it, which will give us a lot more exposure. Um, but I really like where it's going. I really appreciate everybody tuning in every weekend. I, I see multiple people tuning in every weekend, which I think is really cool. It's dedication to, to learn more about the industry. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and end the, uh, the podcast. And if you guys want to move over to the discord, feel free to, um, I myself am going to get, grab something to eat and call it a night. So I will see you guys later. Thanks, Patrick. Thank yeah, you. No problem. That's a little later, guys. Thanks guys. Talk to you later next week. Bye. Thanks.